You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 46. This week's topic is the knowledge of harms, a demand reduction strategy. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Well, greetings to you from our studio out here in Orange County, California, and another episode of the Ending Human Trafficking podcast where we are uh, coming to you from the Global Center for Women and Justice, which is here at Vanguard University, and I'm pleased to be back here again with Sandy. And our agenda for today's show is we are going to be responding to a question from a listener about the California Transparency Law for Supply Chain Audits, which we had originally talked about back in episode number 17. And one of our listeners had asked, well, what do I do if I'm outside of California? So we're going to take a look at that extensively today. We'll answer that question. We're going to talk about the knowledge of harms model. So Sandy will walk us through that. Um, And also our hope today is to really get us all thinking outside the box on some demand reduction strategies, particularly around labor trafficking and in particular in relation to kids. So Sandy, a lot for us to cover today but important things for us to be able to hit on and understand so that we can begin to get better perspective on, you know, we talk about sex trafficking, but labor trafficking is just as just as big an issue, if, if not even bigger, potentially. And how can we how can we address that, too? Well, and just to kind of frame this a little bit, first of all, when we talk about demand reduction in human trafficking, people immediately go to the buzz about... Um, getting men involved in anti-pornography and demand reduction for sex trafficking. Mm. And and that is an important issue. And we've addressed it on this, on this podcast before and we'll continue to do so. But at the, um, in the, in the last podcast where we interviewed Esther and Camille and Toto, and they talked about the children and the men and the women who are slaves in the coal time mines, which this mineral is used in my electronic equipment. Yes. Um, what am I going to do about that? And so it began to uh, kind of bubble in my mind. I'm thinking about how do we address demand reduction for stuff like that? And the California Transparency Act did a great job here on helping us learn how to use um, supply chain audits to create social responsibly, um, re- socially responsible merchants. Mm-hmm. And here in California, that means that if they are doing business of $100 million or more in this state as a consumer, they have to provide us with a report that will show us that their products are slave-free or what um, level of, of possible exploitation might be involved in the products that are on their shelves. Mm. So big companies, Walmart, Kmart, all these stores, um, they have this available on their website. But if you're not in California and the company that you want to shop with doesn't have that available, although more and more companies are doing that, um, what are you going to do? And so I wanted to look at demand reduction 
for the everyday person. We um, learned a long time ago that women spend more of the household income than men Mm -hmm. uh, because they tend to be the ones who go shopping and buy new shoes for the kids, um, groceries, the products that are in your your bathrooms and on your kitchen shelves, all of those things. So how does someone who's doing that kind of shopping, how do they factor in demand reduction into their strategies of everyday choices that they make to end human trafficking? And this is big for us, Sandy, because we all can influence this through our everyday choices. You know, we think about trafficking, we think about a lot of the big huge issues and things we can do around prevention. Uh, And all those are important, like you've said, but the everyday choices we make can be just as important, if not maybe more so, because it's, it changes our habits and what we consume. And like you pointed out, all of us have made choices to have these things in our products, you know, not knowing many of us, but, but when we know and we're empowered, then we can make a different choice on what we might do differently. And, and we can be really intentional about that. Um, in a previous podcast, we talked about um, fair trade products. Mm-hmm. And, and there are complications. It's a really complex issue doing fair trade because not all products are in a certification um, trail, paper trail. Um, it's expensive to become part of a fair trade organization and, and get that certification for your products. And if you're in a developing country, are you even going to have access to that? And there are a lot of products besides coffee and chocolate that we need to be concerned about. So what do we do? And um, when we look at the demand reduction model, one of the most well-known is the model that is used to reduce harm. And this has been um, implemented in our war on drugs and in our schools with short-term prevention strategies. But the idea of reducing harm is is really the basis of it. And the idea that um, if we understand the harm, then we will make different choices. Mm. Cigarettes, uh, the social marketing uh, media campaign back in the 70s, I guess, um, was, 80s, all, 80s, 90s, yeah. 80s, um, 90s. was all about the harms to your to your lungs, to the environment, to your children. And a lot of people didn't make those sacrifices to change their habits for themselves. And I remember my father-in-law, who was a smoker from the time he was a little kid. Um, He is like, well, it's my choice. And he would say, but when our kids were born and he had grandkids in his house, everything changed because now he looked at the reduction of harm for a little little grandbaby that was in his living room and he took his cigarettes outside and eventually he just quit Mm. because it was important for the future of his kids. It's interesting. You mentioned that Sandy, my dad did the same thing, uh, smoked until my mom got pregnant with me and that's Ah. when he stopped smoking years and years and years and years ago. See, we do things because we understand the harm. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. And so, so that has been, I mean, certainly the smoking, the change and attitude around smoking in the U S here and in other parts of the world too, has been massive in the last 20 years, as far as the, uh, you know, the social 
prevalence of that in, in our you know restaurants and bars. And all. I mean, you just don't see well, smoking as much anymore. It has literally, not metaphorically, literally been criminalized mm-hmm. because you have laws. You can't smoke more than um, 100 feet close to a door of a public place. You can't smoke in a hospital. You can't smoke in an airport, all these places. So there, right. it's highly regulated because we've acknowledged the harms involved Mm. in that so now let's take that to a demand reduction strategy on human trafficking and i i think the element of empathy is really important when we begin to understand someone else is being harmed because really is there any harm filling up your shopping cart with products that were produced by slave labor to you is as long as you don't know then no but how do you begin ignorance to use, is bliss yeah, yeah that's right that's right how do you begin to use this strategy of the knowledge of harms to as a demand reduction tool in human trafficking and so i was very interested and we'll have to invite um the deputy district department of labor um friend of mine paul chang to for an interview here but Mm. just to introduce this idea um in addressing child trafficking because it's pretty easy for us to feel empathy for a child who is is making bricks instead of going to school or collecting cotton that is used in my t-shirts instead of getting an education and so on and so on and i think people um who are at least a little aware, and especially if they're listening to this podcast and they're regular listeners, can probably name five or 10 products that um, involve modern day slavery. But our Department of Labor, because of the Trafficking Victims Reauthorization Act, is required every year to produce a report that is, um, and I've lost my... um, Here it is. The U.S. Department of Labor, and they've done this, this is the fourth edition, produces annually the list of goods produced by child labor or forced labor. And this is um, the original first version of this was September 2009. So in September 2012, this fourth list was um, produced. Mm. It's about 150 pages long. And the purpose is to raise public awareness about forced labor, child labor, and to promote efforts to address them. It is not intended to be punitive on any on any level, but to be a starting point for individual and collective action. So this is an answer directly to the question of what can I do if I'm outside California? Exactly. So one starting point would be to get a hold of this report, which is publicly available, right? Right. So we can get a hold of this report, and we're going to put a link to it here on the show notes for episode number 46. So we'll tell you how to get to there in uh, at the end of the episode. But um, so, so that's one place right away we can go, Sandy. So if we get to this report, what are we going to see? Well, in this report, you're going to see opportunities to... Um, understand what kind of child trafficking and forced labor is happening. Now, the list right now includes a total of 134 goods from 74 countries. Mm. So it it isn't like our trafficking in persons report is 173 countries. We aren't there yet with this, okay. but we're definitely making progress. And um, 
It includes goods for which uh, the Department of Labor is able to document that there is reason to believe that child or forced labor is used, and it is likely that many more goods are produced through these forms of labor abuse. So there is validation. This is a, a reliable report. It's not overgeneralized. It's not anecdotal. Um, someone has gone there, and the the research has been um, very, very good. Mm. So, and if you download the report, it will tell you all about the methodology, which will, um, especially if you're in an academic setting, this would be important. My students in the human trafficking class um, coming up in the spring semester will be required to review this report mm. and um, draw some conclusions from it and work on that. Um, the The list of products would be really surprising to you. And I, yeah, I was wondering if maybe you could give us just a snapshot of some of the examples of things that are on this list and some of the countries, because I think that that was, yeah, that'd be really interesting to get a perspective the, on. When it. you look at the chart, you'll see country, the good, okay, and then a column for child labor and a column for forced labor. And the number of child labor check marks are incredible. Mm. And then there are occasional forced labor check marks. Uh, and so help me with the distinction, Sandy, child labor, obviously children. Mm -hmm. um, is that a subset of forced labor or is forced labor considered a different? Forced labor, we're talking um, ad adults. Adults, okay. And that's my understanding. We can check that with um, okay. de district yeah. deputy director Paul Chang in a future interview. Okay, great. So for instance, let's look at Afghanistan. And we know that there are issues with, with modern day slavery there. Bricks, are um, made in Afghanistan, and they have identified child labor and forced labor in mm -hmm. Afghanistan. Um, with the goods of carpets, see, bricks are probably not going to show up in my um, uh, Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever here. Mm -hmm. But carpets could end up in an Orange County store. And these are made with child labor. Mm. And how how many are um, victims of forced um, so that they don't even get to go to school, how many this is an after-school job. That has to be determined, and we have to look at that, but we have to ask those questions. Um, one of the reports that's more extensive in here, there's a complete narrative, is on the production of coal. And because coal goes into tiny little places, they prefer to have children working in those coal mines. Can you imagine a child? So now I want to touch your empathy buttons in demand reduction, Dave. I want you to think that if you're using coal um, and children are the victims of human trafficking so that you can be warm and have light because we know we, we power electrical plants with coal, um, how does that impact us? And obviously we have our own electricity um, production here in California. Yeah. But what's happening in that country? Yeah, it can get overwhelming, Sandy, because, you know, I'm sitting here, we're talking about this. We are in a warmly, beautifully lit room yeah. in front of studio microphones and both holding devices that have the uh, the the mineral that we know yes. that is mined with child slave labor. Mm -hmm. And so this is really... It's one of those things, and this is the challenge I have, Sandy, with this, and we're getting off topic here a little bit, maybe, but um, 
you if you try to take it all in, you'll just paralyze yourself. Right. Because you can't do it all and you can't take it all in at once. And that's where I think this report can be um you know, just listening to some of the things you've already said, and we're just on the first country. Right, <laughs> And there's right. 130 on this list. You know, it, it can get overwhelming. So part of this is thinking, okay, what are some of the first choices I can make to make some different decisions or some different, um, some different, take some different perspectives on how I might make different choices? Well, and here's here's a strategy. I was talking to another member of, of our board this mm. week, and um, we were talking about this this report and some other demand reduction strategies. And so if we go to the next country on this list, Angola, um, many people know that diamonds are often, diamond mines are often um, places where children and adults are slaves. Sure. And so our good friend Cheryl Pitluck um, said, well, my daughter said that um, when she gets engaged at some point, way down, just in this is not a spoiler alert. She's not engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, that she will ask for a an engagement ring that is from um, a family heirloom or something oh. because she doesn't want a blood diamond. She doesn't want jewelry yeah. that might have been uh, produced through the exploitation of men, women, or children. Mm. And that's an intentional, I'm thinking about it now, I'm in college, but... At this point, this this is where I draw the line. And those are the kinds of, of intentional um, harm reduction applications that we make to our choices. Not harm for ourselves, mm-hmm. harm for other people. And we, we do a lot of things because we have empathy and concern about other people. Most people have feelings that they care about what's happening to their neighbors. You would not be... Um, just blindly go on with your own things if you saw smoke rising out of your neighbor's house. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you'd go do something about it. The fact that we are in a globalized economy means that um, what's happening in Angola and Afghanistan impact us. So what do we do about that? We have to look at some new strategies and be a little out of the box. Let's look at a couple other countries here. Sure, sure. Um, Some of the other things that we'll see in our markets, Argentina, Child labor, garments, also forced labor, garments. Mm. How many times have you been shopping and it says made in Argentina? Well, how am I going to find out if someone is um, abusing a child to produce this? And see, the the strategies for harm reduction have to go beyond, I'm not going to buy this. Um, Boycotts is what that really boils down to, is not as effective. So we have to include uh, policymakers and um, the merchants so that we begin to drive demand for for supply chain audits. And someone's going to be checking and they're going to, It's and this is the other thing, it's going to raise the cost of products. Because we're not going to get a product where no one was paid for the labor that produced it. Mm. And that then introduces another um, area to identify harm. So if we're talking to someone about the knowledge of harms in addressing modern day slavery, the other indirect um, victim, if you will, of the harms of slave labor are local businesses 
Because how can you, in Orange County, where you have to pay minimum wage, I don't know what the minimum wage is now, Dave, um, eight something. Yeah. Uh, how can you compete with a product made um, in Argentina where it's it's based on slave labor? Mm, yeah. So the harm to your own economy. So if you don't have a lot of empathy for the people there, think about the um, reduction of harm in your own community to the business and the economy right here. Yeah, and there are really big price differences and it does drive decision making. And case in point, Sandy, you know, I'm more aware of some of these issues than than a lot of, you know, people like in our local area or community. And one of the things, you know, we had we have this holiday called uh Halloween here in the US and so everyone buys chocolate or candy and hands it out to kids. And so I was looking at chocolate that was fair trade uh-huh. that we could hand out this year. And it was so much more expensive than the stuff you could buy cheap at the store that you know is that could potentially be, I shouldn't say you know, but it's likely that there's some aspect of child labor in the supply chain. But it but it really does cause you to hesitate. Like when it's, you know, when it's that much more expensive, it is it's hard because it's real money and it's real it's it's a real economic driver of decision making. And your Halloween analogy is really great because I was a couple of years ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the store and it's like, oh man, I can't afford fair trade chocolate. So I'll just get sugar, plain sugar. And kids don't care. They just want their bags filled up, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so I bought wrapped sugar, I don't know, hard candy. Well, then I started learning more about child labor and human trafficking in other countries. And guess where a lot of our sugar comes from? Oh, Brazil. Same thing. And huh? it's on the list here. Brazil, sugar cane, and um, timber, and pineapples. Who would have thought Brazil has child labor with pineapples? And again, garments. And here's a big one. Um, my husband loves cashews. And I've seen on the on the container they come they come from Brazil. It's mm-hmm. like really, and here I find out that that is one of the highlighted reports in here with pictures and everything of children in slave labor, so that we can have cheap cashews. And I always thought cashews were a little expensive. Can you imagine if we actually paid for the labor what they would cost? Yeah. So this this brings up then now the question of course here, which is okay. Well, what can we do? Other than getting overwhelmed by this, which it is easy to get overwhelmed looking at a list by this, and we start looking at all the products that we purchase or have purchased in the past. And so what's the first step here, Sandy? Because we're, you know, well, it's not realistic for most of us to change our entire buying habits. And, and there's so many different things that could have an implication to human trafficking. But what we can what can we do as, as a first starting point? I know you and I have both started with chocolate, obviously, but, but what are some other things we can do? Well, I think understanding how important supply chain audits are and the fact that you and I can't do those. And just reading a report on 74 countries begins to overwhelm us. But um, educating businesses so that they understand that we want this and if you want us to be loyal to your brand, you're going to show us that you've done supply chain audits. Um, I was really impressed by um, an article um, Laura Letter cited that McDonald's started doing supply chain audits 
five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. And this is important because being socially responsible is important to me as a consumer. So I want to go where and, and um, patronize those businesses that share values that I share. And that's part of being a community. Um, beyond that, we need to support legislation that requires this way beyond California. Mm. And there is legislation being um, written and drafted right now that is a, um, a version of our California transparency law, and it will become federal law eventually. So when we're talking about doing advocacy and, and contacting legislators and policymakers, uh, we, can, we can advocate for that um, legislation. Very good. Yeah, that's that's good stuff to know, and uh, that's something we will obviously keep up to date on as uh, as goes forward. Do we know if there's any I had a, movement I, on that? I've or? had an opportunity. Well, things have been a little bit slow right now, but hopefully, yeah. it's going to get it's going to get some attention this this um, with a new year. Um, I also had an opportunity to do some um, training and speaking with um, UNICEF, which is the United Nations children's fun mm, yeah. and one of the one of the events was with a group of mostly business people in retail um dresses and clothing textile i guess and it was very interesting the response that people had to this and i learned new things from them because many of the people in the room were buyers and mm. so they wanted to know they started asking me which countries have blah, 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 children. And because I'll avoid those countries. So the buyers for big stores want to know the answers to these questions. So sometimes educating me and you isn't nearly as effective as finding the person who is the decision maker in that company. And that person may be your neighbor. So what we can do in addition to just educating ourselves is also start to like we say, be a voice and to go out and ask questions and to talk to local businesses and to talk to the places that we shop at. And I think what you said earlier, Sandy, was really profound is, you know, we certainly can just boycott something and just decide not to buy it. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's kind of the like level one, <laughs> yeah. maybe solution. But really, and eventually you're going to have to go live in the wilderness because... Yeah, you know, you could boycott everything. So really, a maybe a more effective way to approach this is let's talk to the businesses that we care about, that we connect with, the business owners that we know, and let's engage in a dialogue about what do you know about your products? What's the supply chain look like? And to raise awareness so that the people who then have those roles, business owners, buyers... Uh, people who work in corporations who make decisions like that start to hear that more and more and more and utilize that in their decision-making process and ask questions. And we've seen this happen extensively with, for example, Apple in the yes. last year or two. A lot of people started, there were several widely publicized reports about working conditions in China and Apple supply mm -hmm. chain. And a lot of people started asking a lot of questions. And there was a lot of media criticism of Apple. Some of it justified, some of it not. We've come to learn over the last year or so. But Apple has done a huge, massive you know, effort to document supply chain, partner with organizations that will help them to audit their 
what they're doing has brought a ton of transparency to this, which other companies haven't now, and it has really made a huge move on that. And that's one of the largest companies on the planet. So if, yeah. if that can happen with Apple, that can happen with just about any organization if people are willing to engage and have conversations about these issues and things can change. And a lot of that um, comes out of consumer questions, just asking questions yeah. and wanting to know. And in this report, um, because I want to start go back to Congo, which is where we started mm-hmm. after Esther and Camille, in the Congo, um, coltan, copper, diamonds, cobalt, gold, and something I've never heard of, wolframite. Mm. Congo is a rich country, and children are slaves there. And the when you talked earlier about, you mentioned working conditions, back to this harm reduction model, we have to think about the questions that people ask us. People say to me, well, you know, they're in a developing world and every kid is happy to have a job. Well, here's the reality. They're not getting paid. Uh, they're not getting an education. And their working conditions are very, very poor, poor light, um, poor circulation, poor nutrition, um, no health care, and many times they are beaten and abused sexually as well as the physical abuse. So when we look at demand reduction strategies, let's start thinking out of the box. Think about what our impact is and where we can have um, influence to change that. We've raised a lot of topics in today's show, Sandy, and I suspect that uh, people are going to have questions and comments about what we've talked about today. And if you're listening and that is you, we'd really like to hear from you. We'd like to um, we'd like to engage in dialogue and conversation that's helpful to all of us because it's easy to hear about these things and to get very depressed and then just kind of put our heads in the ground and to be sad and depressed about the things. And, and, that, and that's okay. But let's also do something with that that feeling the, that we can reach out and to engage and to learn more. So we'd really like to hear from you and find out what you'd like to know more of so we can help him really help you to study the issues so you can go out and be a voice to really make a difference in the world. So send us feedback to our email address at gcwj at vanguard.edu. And the GCWJ stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice, which is where we produce the podcast from. And of course, Sandy's the director of the center, and we do a ton of work around really educating people and empowering people with good, solid information, experts who will help then engage all of us in conversation on how we can end human trafficking. And you, of course, can also reach out to us by phone with comments or questions about the show too. And the best way to reach us there is 714-966-6360. And we will uh, certainly love to talk with you and uh, leave us a message if we're not there. We'll answer your question on the show. And uh, that way we can continue to engage you and to help you to connect with us. And uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Sandy, before we go today, I do want to mention for our audience, um, one of the ways that you can help right away, right now, immediately, to get more people uh, understanding and appreciating the challenges going on with human trafficking is to let them know about the show. 
So if you would let them know about the show, we'd so much appreciate it. And one way you can do that, even if you don't know anyone who is interested in this issue as much as you are, you can go on to iTunes and write a review for the show. That'll help other people to find the show who care about this issue. So we'd certainly appreciate you doing that. Just go to iTunes, search for Ending Human Trafficking, leave us a written review that'll help more people find out about this. Sandy, thanks for being here again today. Thank you, Dave. And we'll see you all again in two weeks. Take care, everybody. 